to you weary and heavy laden so that we can find rest for our souls. Lord, we also have all the things we should be thankful for. I thank you for Andrew and Sarah's new baby and uh, praise you for that and praise you for little Isla. And uh, Lord, we also think about other things that we sometimes complain about and yet when we look at them, they're really such a blessing. And thank you, Lord, for the blessings of life and thank you for the good things that you bring into our life that we don't deserve. And uh, yet you are so good to give us all things, Paul said, freely to enjoy. And then, Lord, we want to pray for our nation. And when we look at a nation, we see our nation, we see a nation in crisis, a nation that is so confused, a nation that is so rebellious, that is just bent on going the wrong way and, and uh, just shaking its fist in the face of Almighty God. Oh, Lord, we pray that you, by your grace, would forgive us. And we pray you would restore us. And we pray that there would be revival seeds planted in our church and in our lives that will be planted and watered and will come to a harvest. And we pray this not only for us, but there are so many churches gathering today all over the world. Some have gathered, some are gathering, and some will gather. And, oh, Lord, we pray for them that they might be on fire for Christ with us. We don't want to leave ourselves out of that or just leave it to somebody else. Please help us. And we pray, Lord, for these upcoming elections and pray that you would show favor and mercy to us. And, uh, Father, we also want to pray as we think about people all around the world who would love to have our problems because they're persecuted. They're giving their lives for the gospel. They're imprisoned for the gospel. And we want to pray for them. We don't want to forget them. Help them, Lord. And so for all of us, Lord, would you remind us that as sinners, our hope is in Christ. The victory is in Jesus. And it's you who set sinners like us free. And for all of these things, we say thank you, praise you, hallelujah to your name. We surrender to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. And we are in four, and we looked at the first couple of verses last week. We're going to back up and look at those again so that we get all of it uh, in context here. And we're going to talk about uh, abounding because Paul mentions that. And the Greek word for abound means to be over and above, to abound in quality as well as in uh, quantity now uh, what is what is the fruitfulness of your spiritual life I want you to do a little inventory right now has there ever been a time that you remember when you opened the word of God and you learned something and it blessed you and it set you on fire okay have you been doing lately are you having anything like that do you still crave the word of God what about your prayer life what about your witnessing what about your giving is everything in the past is everything something that you have to go back a few years or maybe a few decades to boy God really moved in my life well what about now are you abounding now and in this situation uh, that you are in and that you're going through now and then the second thing would be what is the quality 
of your walk with God. Because the idea of abounding, when Paul says, I pray that you would abound more, than, more and more, it does speak of quantity, how much, but it also speaks of quality, the quality of your walk with God. So be honest and um, think about this between you and the Lord. What is the quality of your walk with God now? And the only way we know that is to compare it well, number one, we probably compare it to the past. What did I used to be for the Lord? What did I used to uh, think about Him, His Word, my motivation, all of that type of thing? And how does my quality of my spiritual life compare with the Word of God? Boy, this uh, study in the life of Daniel is just so convicting about him even as he faced death in the lion's den how faithful that he was how consistent that he was and the high quality of his walk with God and that's something that we certainly should all aspire to and um, this word that is translated abound here in first Thessalonians 4 is uh, found in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 Jesus said your righteousness has to surpass, that's the word translated in 1 Thessalonians 4, same Greek word, translated abound. So he would say, unless your righteousness abounds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't enter heaven. And uh, Matthew chapter 14, 20, to give you an idea, after they fed the 5,000, you remember the disciples went and gathered up 12 basketfuls of the fragments, and it says... Uh, they gathered up what was left over. Left over is the word translated in 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, to abound. And it doesn't mean you're only going to get the leftovers. It means to abound means you have leftovers. When you go to other parts of the world, or for some of you, you can think back to a time in your life whenever you ate, and you ate uh, breakfast or lunch or you ate your dinner, and when you got through, there was nothing left. In fact, for some of you, you might say, Preacher, I remember a time when there wasn't enough. We didn't worry about what to do with the leftovers. We were all still hungry when we ate everything that we had. And the word abound would have uh, been an appropriate thing here because they had leftovers. If you have leftovers, you have an abundance of food. You're abounding in that area. That's the word that is used here. And then in um, also in the gospel, no, excuse me, in Romans chapter 15, 13, Paul prays so that you will, interesting with what we sang this morning, abound in hope. You don't just have enough hope just to kind of cope with everything and muddle through. You have more hope than you actually need and that is true for us in Christ we have much much more than we actually need because our God is a God who gives us an abundance in these things and so when you think of it like that that it means the uh, to be over and above to abound in quality and quantity and we apply that to our spiritual life and we think about these verses where that same word is used then first Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1 finally then brethren we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound 
abound more and more. In other words, have an abundance of your abundance. Okay? That's redundant, but get the idea, the abundant abundance that we have in Christ, that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, before we move on, let's stop there. Isn't it interesting that at the first of this chapter, Paul prays, for believers to abound, and then he immediately talks about sexual sin. Wonder why he would connect those things. Paul, what is going on in your mind that you are connecting the abundance of God, the spiritual hope, and all of the blessings we have in Christ, and you are connecting that with a passage that forbids us from coming into sexual immorality. Well, maybe it's something like this. There is nothing that will keep you from walking with God, experiencing the blessing of God and the abundance of God in your spiritual life like sexual sin. Clear enough? Because it cools you off. It takes your focus off of God. It makes you extremely selfish. And uh, it uh, brings in your, well, you're going to reap what you sow. And it brings the discipline of God Instead of the grace and mercy, well, discipline is a grace, instead of bringing the blessings of God. And so Paul goes into that with, with these uh, Thessalonian believers. And I know uh, for a lot of us, we said, boy, our times are just bad. They're like no other. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe the church of the Lord Jesus has been here before. So let's pick up. In verse 3, for this is the will of God. Everybody's spiritual ears ought to perk up on that. We all want to know the will of God. Here it is, your sanctification. So if you're not being sanctified, growing in the Lord, being more holy, you're out of the will of God. No wonder your prayers aren't being answered. No wonder you're not seeing fruitfulness from your Bible study. No wonder the Spirit is not moving freely in your life. You're out of the will of God. Okay, Paul could have stopped there, but he went on and amplified it. Because this is a particular problem in the ancient world, especially in the Roman Empire. Think of Corinth. Well, Thessalonica was in that. Uh, Thessalonica was in that as well, as well. And he goes, and here it is that you should abstain from sexual immorality or fornication. Some uh, translations say, verse four, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. That means your own body in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You never look more like an unbeliever than when you're involved in sexual sin, in other words. And uh, so not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. You're cheating yourself. But you're also cheating somebody else. And if you're involved in sexual sin, you're not just cheating yourself and the person that you're with. You're cheating that other person's spouse or potential spouse one day. You're robbing them and you're robbing them from the joy of what they could and should experience if they were to walk in the will of God when they get married and enter into a God-blessed sexual activity. 
No one should defraud his brother. And why is that important? Because the Lord is the avenger of all such. He's not indifferent. He doesn't wink at it. He's not passive about it. He is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us, that's any believer, to uncleanness, but in holiness. Now, take a deep breath. Wake up. Pay attention. And let this sink in. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who also gives us his Holy Spirit. So any of you who are living in sexual sin who can read this and go back into it without any kind of repentance, conviction, or anything like that, I've got a word for you. Get saved. And if you do, then the answer, if you do get convicted and you think about this, then the word for you is get right. Get right. There's a way out of this. And the way to have an abounding, fruitful, wonderful walk with Christ is to live this holy life. You say, oh, but it's so hard and nobody thinks like that like this you're right you're right I get that but it's not near as hard as it was in Thessalonica Uh, here's what one man wrote about it he was a Scottish man in the last century and he was very nice and very proper he said first the Thessalonians had only come into the Christian faith and they had come from a society in which chastity That's faithfulness to your marriage vows. Chastity was an unknown virtue and they were still in the midst of such a society and the infection of it was playing upon them all the time. It would be exceedingly difficult for them to unlearn what they had for all of their lives accepted as natural. And secondly, there never was an age in all history when marriage vows were so disregarded and divorce so disastrously easy. If he were alive today, that was written back pre-1940, I believe, he would probably change a little of that looking at our society. But that's the way Roman society was when you put it in a very nice way, and we're going to get a little bit unnice as we talk about this because you have to be blunt nowadays or people just don't understand what you're talking about. So let's make some uh, points here. Number one, those who abound are concerned about others. And that's based on the first couple of verses there. Paul was concerned about this because he loved the Thessalonian believers. And you and I should love other people too enough that we would be bold enough, loving enough, and willing enough to confront somebody who is involved in sexual sin and sexual immorality. We can't just act like it's all okay. Oh, it's no big deal. No, no, it is something we ought to be concerned about their soul in order to do that because we love them. 
because we care about them, because we don't want them to continue to make their lives worse. We don't want them to uh, be the one that God uh, puts his avenging action upon that Paul talked about. We want them to know the Lord, to be saved, and then to abound in him more and more. We don't want them to have more baggage than they already have, more scars than they already have. And so it's not loving just to ignore it, smile and say, oh, well, you know, it's not my choice, but it's what they've chosen to do, and they seem to be happy, not if you believe the word of God. Now, there's a way to do it, and there's a time to do it. And you may not even be exactly the person to do it at that particular time. That's where you've got to be sensitive to the Lord. But you do need to be willing. And you do need to be concerned. And how can you call yourself a Christian if you're not concerned about the spiritual life or about the salvation of other people and their eternal souls. Those who are abound, those who abound are concerned for other people on every level, not just this one. Number two, consider this. Those who abound don't follow the culture. Culture is irrelevant in this case. Well, everybody's doing it. Well, this is what everybody thinks. Well, this is what we're taught. Well, this is what my parents did. Well, this is what all of my friends are doing. Irrelevant. Notice here the Bible says, for this is the will of God. We don't follow the culture. We follow the will of God. The culture didn't die for our sins. The culture didn't come and live a perfect life and then suffer betrayal and suffer beating and an unfair trial and then go to the cross and suffer the wrath of God. The culture didn't overcome death, hell, and the grave. The culture is not seated at the right hand of God the Father. In other words, we didn't get up here this morning and say, and we pray all of these things and confess together that culture is Lord. It doesn't even sound right, does it? And yet that's the way we live and that's the way we think. Everybody's doing it. This is the way it just is now. What are you going to do about it? Well, we can refuse to participate in this for one thing. And we can be like Daniel who was in the midst of a pagan, idol-worshipping, immoral culture. And yet he was highly respected because from his early days he was consistent all the way to the end. And the only charge that his enemies could bring against him was a spiritual charge. And so uh, we can be like that. We don't follow the culture. We don't participate with the culture in these things because the Bible says this world is passing away. Number three, those who abound have self-control. Those who abound have self-control. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, his body, in sanctification, that's a word for holiness, and in honor. Now, have you ever known anybody that was caught in sexual sin? Something they kept secret, something that they were ashamed of, something that they hoped and prayed nobody would ever know or nobody would ever find out and then they're caught. We've seen politicians do that, haven't we? We've probably known people, maybe it's even happened unto you. That thing that you were so passionate about, that thing that you couldn't wait to be involved in, now all of a sudden has become something embarrassing, embarrassing to you, something that is 
bringing great shame to you. But the sad thing is it doesn't just bring great shame to you. It brings shame to your spouse. It brings shame to your children. It brings shame to your church. It brings shame to the Lord. And this is the thing that Paul is saying. There's a better way than walking down the rotten gutter of cultural living. There's the holiness of the Lord where you can actually live an honorable life. Think about that. An honorable life. A life that other people would recognize. A life that other people would want to emulate. A life that your children would brag about one of these days. Not necessarily that they should, but that they would want to. And we think about honor. Honor. I think about honor, and of course I have a military background, and I think about those men and uh, I think about the way that they served. I think about them going to war. I think about them as they would sacrifice their lives. I think about the ones who would come home with fewer limbs than they departed with. And I think about those people that lay down their lives for us in law enforcement. And I think about the honor of all of those things. But the Bible also would say, Things like, what about the person that you've never heard of, who never did anything great, who never wrote a book, and they never preached a sermon, those people who never ran for office, they never had a big business, they never had a lot of money, they never lived in the best part of town, but they stayed faithful to their marriage vows for 60 years. That's honor. What about the person that never achieved anything that this world would recognize or anything that we, would, we wouldn't even think of saying, would you give your testimony? Because all we can think of is, it'll take about 30 seconds and be boring. What's, what's the big deal about them? And occasionally we do get shocked and surprised, don't we? But sometimes we do that. And yet this is a person who, <coughs> their life is honorable to the Lord. And they read their Bible, they live their Bible, they tell other people about Jesus, and they keep themselves away from even the little th acceptable things like gossip and slander and those type of things. That's the kind of person we might overlook, but God honors, and they're going to stand at an awards ceremony one time in heaven, and they're going to be rewarded for their faithfulness. And so the Bible is telling us here, and Paul is saying for the Thessalonians, I want you to have a life not of shame not that has to be hidden not a life that you don't want your kids to know about or to discover but a life that is open and a life that is free for anyone to see or scrutinize like Daniel's life was they looked at him and they could not find anything against him and they said you know the only way we're going to get him is on the law of his God because he will not compromise that uh, that's a life that is a life of honor and a life of holiness and a life of cleanness. And you're never going to get there without self-control. You say, well, self-control, that sounds legalistic. That sounds, well, hey, listen, I have done, a, my heart has done a lot of beating and I have done a lot of breathing just since I've been up here. And I do it fairly regularly. I'm pretty consistent about my breathing, aren't you? Is that legalistic? No, it's necessary. 
And what I'm saying is, if you take all of this to mean that you're better than other people, that you are superior to everyone else, that boy, there's no other Christian quite like me, or I'm better than the average bear, to quote Yogi Bear, and uh, all of that, then yeah, that's legalism. But when you are doing it out of discipline, out of love for the Lord, and when you're doing it because it's right, and you're doing it because you want to know the Lord, glorify the Lord, and you want to be a blessing, you want to be a servant, that's not legalism. There's something honorable about that. Again, going back to military and law enforcement, it's not legalistic that they put on the same uniform every single day. It's not legalistic that they train at the, at the shooting range and they do it so often and all of the things that they do. No, that's just smart. And that's what they do as men and women of honor. And we honor them because they are fulfilling what they are supposed to do. Same thing in the army of the Lord. We are supposed to be consistent in what we do. Now, I did some research on this. And uh, the Gentile way, what Roman society was like. And basically, as you see on your screen, it was a time where, of male dominance like you've never heard of. It was also a time of pedophilia. Sex with children was not illegal and it was considered something to be desired and honorable and uh, something that a lot of people, especially the upper classes, engaged in. And also it was a low view of women. Say, okay, how bad does that get? Okay, buckle your seatbelts. Marriage existed in the Roman Empire, of course, but it was not about mutual love, but about the provision of an heir. That's all it was for. A far purer or honest form of love was the love of, so make you gag of a man for a boy. So a culture of pederasty, that's sex with children, arose in which adult men carried on, look at this, overt, not covered up, out in the open, overt sexual relationships with adolescent boys. Many times it was their own slaves and they did that until they reached the age of adolescence and they were done with them. If you can imagine. And this is something every wife had to put up with. This is something that society put up with. This is something that society applauded. Because this is a dominant, strong male. And he can have sex with anybody he pleases at any time. That's the kind of way that they thought. And the way things were. Prostitution was rampant. Listen to this. Rape was widespread and accepted. Listen to this. Provided a man raped someone of a lower status. Can you imagine? That's the only way a rapist had any shame. How dare you? You did that to somebody who is higher, you'll pay for that. And they would probably pay for it with their life. Or they would be raped themselves. It's kind of the way the Romans operated. Isn't that disgusting? I mean, you listen and think about those kind of things and you go Phew, maybe it's not quite as bad here as it could get but don't you also have the feeling we're headed that direction i mean it's really amazing okay rape was 
widespread and accepted, provided a man rape someone of a lower status. In so many ways, Roman sexual morality was abhorrent and one of the most prominent features was the strong dominating the weak. And that's the bottom line. See, all of that of what the man could do and who he could have sex with, whether it's a prostitute, whether it's a slave, whether it is a child, whether it is a homosexual relationship. This man also may be married procuring children through his wife that would inherit his estate, inherit his title. That's all she was for. Everything else was all wide open. And when you think about it, it was the strong dominating the weak. And I'm not so sure when you look at our culture and when you hear about somebody who is a a rapist, a serial rapist or something like that, I'm not so sure it's really all about the sexual aspect of it as much as it is this same idea of I can do whatever I please with you anytime I want. Power, dominance, control, submission, all of those type type of things. Well, that's heading back to Rome, isn't it? Think about pedophilia. Oh, well, we, you know, no, nothing. You ever heard about drag queen story hour? What, what is that? And what's the purpose of that? There was a lady at a school board recently that I saw a clip of, and she talked about the stuff like that that was going on in, a, in her local school and even the drag queen thing. And she said, I have one word for you who are on the school board, your groomers. I think she's right. And I think all of this is heading us down to a way to where we finally, finally say, like we have about every other perversion, well, they can't help it. They were born this way. They can't help it. This is just the way it's supposed to be. Why is it wrong? Because society has told them it is wrong and they shouldn't feel any shame because they, quote-unquote, love a child. Everything's heading this way. When you hear more and more about schools all over the country where they are talking to children, not so much about math and science and English, but about how do you feel and do you think that you might be a girl trapped in a boy's body or different things like that. Or when they are taught about different sexual acts and things like that when they haven't even reached puberty yet. I mean, this is the kind of thing that we look at and we go, this is not boding well for our country and it's not boding well for our children. You better pray for your children. You better pray for your grandchildren because this is kind of the direction without the intervention of the Lord. This is where we're headed and we're messing up so many people. In fact, there was a representative in Virginia that a few years ago and it's been resurrected that uh, her idea was that any parent, if you're a parent of a child who is in school, would you say amen? That a parent who will not, quote-unquote, affirm his or her child's gender is guilty of child abuse and worthy of jail. So... Your eight-year-old goes, Mommy, I think I want to be a man. And if you don't give her the drugs, if you don't provide later on the surgery, you're not honored. You're a criminal. 
you're a child abuser. Now that has been put aside for a while. I think especially with the midterm elections, uh, they are running from that in Virginia. But the fact that it would even be brought up and even pass a committee and that someone like that would even be allowed to serve to think that that would ever even start creeping into our culture I want to ask you a question what's next what's next oh you go to church every Sunday we uh, hear the school counselor says yes we do we're Bible believing Christians we go to Graceway Baptist Church yeah well I'm calling uh DHS, that's child abuse. Oh, you're not willing to do this with your child? You believe that homosexual uh, marriage is wrong? Well, you can't work here and believe that. That type of stuff is already starting to happen, right? And so what happens is we lose all of our rights And sometimes we just sit back and we take it. And we don't even see it coming. This is why I'm going to implore you. The midterm elections are coming up. Vote. Please, vote. This kind of stuff is critical. When we look at this thing in the Roman Empire and we think about the low view of women. Women had no recourse to an immoral husband. There's nothing they could do. If you were in ancient Rome and you found out that your husband was having a sexual affair with another man or with a child, you could do nothing about it. You had no rights, no recourse in any of that type of thing. Oh, 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 but if you were caught being immoral... He could do one of two things. He could have you killed or he could have the person that you were having the affair with arrested and he could take them and he could rape them to show his dominance. Isn't this disgusting? Animalistic? And Yet every year and every decade that goes by we seem to, people laugh for years. They would say, a lot of this stuff with the sexual revolution, it's a downhill slope. Where does it stop? Whenever the Supreme Court decided that marriage was not between one man and one woman, but it could be same-sex marriage and all of that, you just watch. Before long, it will be, why can't I marry five women? And why can't I have five husbands? And we're going to see polygamy make a comeback. Later on, it's going to be, and maybe sooner than we think, somebody that's going to say, I want to marry my own child, or something like that. Or I want to marry a little boy or a little girl. Uh, they do that in Muslim countries all the time, right? And now it's a bigger crime to be a Bible-believing Christian than it is to be a Muslim, even a Muslim terrorist in some ways. We think about all of that type of stuff and we look at what's going on and it's time for somebody to say, Enough! And we're the only ones that can do that, folks. And it starts with us. Because far too often do we hear about Christians 
Christian people, church people that are engaged in immorality. There's an affair here. There's an affair there. There's a one-night stand here. They're, they're, oh, well, it didn't really mean anything. There were some texts here. There was some other stuff here, things that were going on. And so what happens? Well, it's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. And so Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, and he was saying, this is where you are. You can't help the culture you are in, but... Um, this is something that you can stand against. It's time to stand against it. I mean, we're at a point already where uh, 40% of the births in the United States are out of wedlock. And for blacks, the number is, you ready for this? 69.4% of African-American children are born out of wedlock. For American Indians, Alaska Natives, it's 68.2%. When you uh, look around and you see uh, for whites, it's 28.2%. That's more than a quarter of all children. And uh, boy, for Asian Americans, you, hold on, 11%. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? And so much of all of that, you find government interference. You find government. When they come, and Ronald Reagan was right, the most terrifying words you could ever hear are the words, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Now, why is that? That's not just a political philosophy. It's because everything that the government does, they're going to say, we will help you if you do this. And so when they came along and they started telling African Americans in the inner city, which before 1964, they were much lower than whites in terms of illegitimate births. You know what happened? They started giving them money. And they started saying, we'll give you more money if you have more children. And we'll give you more money if you don't have a man in the household. So what happened? Thank you, government, for promoting immorality. Thank you, government, for destroying the lives of children who won't grow up with a father. Thank you for all of that. Because every time they try to help, they end up hindering and they end up hurting because they don't really have your best interest at heart. It's about them. It's about gaining and keeping power. It's about controlling your life. Did we learn anything from COVID? We should. When we first started doing the 14-day shutdown, one of the things I talked to Brother Dale about, I said, the thing that I said, I see the logic in it because we don't know what we're dealing with, but the thing that worries me is if the government ever gets a taste of blood, they won't quit. What's the next emergency going to be where they're going to tell us we can't gather? What's the next thing that's going to happen? And we see, uh, basically, an American public that won't question much of anything, but will kind of go along with it. Folks, vote. Vote, please, and pray. God's our only hope. And so, uh, when I think about all of these things, and we talk about Rome, and what Thessal the Thessalonians were involved with, are we all that different? All that different. We're in danger. And number four, uh, those who abound honor others. And notice here that he said that no one should take advantage of his brother in a matter. But we really love each other, so it's okay. 
you know. Well, you're not thinking, and you're thinking about yourself. And uh, anybody that says, well, I know it's outside of marriage, but I just love them too much, that's more selfish than anybody would like to admit. And you're defrauding that person of something. And if the two of you don't get married, everybody always says, well, we think we're going to get married. Well, then wait until you do get married. Okay? But what if you don't? You know, people do break up. People do get killed. Things happen. And you have to live with the guilt, live with the baggage, live with the scars. And... If you end up marrying somebody else, you are robbing them of your virginity. And if they do it with somebody else, they are robbing you of their virginity. And all kinds of problems enter into a marriage because of those type of things. And so if you want to abound in the Lord, one of the things you have to do is honor other people. In honor, Paul says in Romans, giving preference to one another. He says to the Philippians, considering the needs of others as more important than your own. It's called dying to self. It's called self-discipline. It's called self-control, which by the way is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22, this is all just out of control, selfish, dominating, I'm going to get my way and I'm going to do whatever pleases me type of stuff. And you can't have a society like that. You can't have a church like that. And you can't be a Christian and have a Christian testimony and to live that way. And so Paul says, you know, stay away from those kind of things. And then number five, those who abound have a high view of God. And I guess this is the crux of the matter. What happens is we don't really think God is all that much. And so uh, we do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, as many times as we want to do it, and we don't really care what God thinks. But Paul warns them, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject men, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. I was thinking about this deal with the transgender movement the other day. And I remembered when I was a kid, I really liked two people, Superman and Batman. And you know how I would do when I would play that? I was about four years old. We took a bath towel and we put it around our neck with a clothespin. And then, you know who I was? I was just Greg Keenan, four years old. But I thought I was Superman. Yeah, some friends and I uh, uh, and me, we tried to fly. We thought the cape would help. And then uh, one of them got the bright idea that the cape didn't work. The towel cape didn't work because it didn't have an S on it. And so put the S on it and we still couldn't fly. You know, and you jump off the swing set and hit the ground. You know, that, that type of thing. Because we weren't, it really didn't change anything except the way that we looked. Now, somebody that lived next to us when they saw us, and we put our arms out like this, like Superman did, and then run. Okay? And, then, and, and we felt like if the cape was kind of going up in the back, that was just like flying. And we would, we'd make the noise and everything. Did you ever do that? And somebody might look and say, oh, look, look, those boys, they think they're Superman. But it didn't make a superman. That's about what transgender does. 
And you may be a girl who looks like a boy, but you're not. And you may be a guy who looks like a girl, but you're not. It doesn't change your DNA. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change the way a doctor would have to operate on you or anything like that. It doesn't change anything. It's, it's just playing a game. No wonder the suicide rate goes up about 60% among people who go through the transitions. It's not happy. It's not good. It's not something to laugh at. It's not something either to ignore. We need to pray for them. Okay? But listen. Listen to me. Going through all of that does not change who you are any more than me putting a towel around my neck made me Superman or Batman as the case may be. It just doesn't do it. In fact, we lie to other people and we're lying to ourselves. And the Bible says in Proverbs 11, 20 and 21, those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. Now think about that in light of 1 Thessalonians 4. Blameless ways are his delight. Be assured an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. I really want my children, when it's time for me to be buried, not to be ashamed of me. I really want my children to have good things to say about me when I breathe my last. I kind of even hope they miss me a little bit, right? But have we ever seen the opposite? Where somebody may tell you, well, my daddy was a whatever in church, but that's not the way that he lived and that wasn't really who he was. There was a hidden life. There was another agenda. There was something underneath the surface. And we've had those in our own church, haven't we? We don't want that. You don't want that. God has better ways for you. And that is that you should actually abound. And so what do you need to do? Let me give you three things to think about here. Number one, you need a pure heart. Keep your heart right with God, pure before the Lord. Number two, you need discipline in your life. You need some routines, some customs, things that you do every day for the glory of God. And build some good habits in your life. And then number three, you have to focus upon the glory of God. It sums up by 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. You want to stay out of the Roman Gentile lifestyle? Then watch, stand fast in the faith. Be brave and let all that you do be done with love. i got good news. If you're trapped in sexual sin, there is an answer. And Jesus is the answer. He will forgive and he will liberate you. If you've never been saved, would you turn from your sin today and put your trust completely in Jesus Christ? Surrender your life to Him as your Lord and your Savior and trust in Him completely as the payment for your sin. And the one who is raised from the dead after three days, the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, seated at the right hand of God the Father, He'll take all of that muck and mire and all of that sin and all of that shame and He'll take that and he'll give you in its place new life and his righteousness so that you can pray and stand before God with a clean heart. Boy, that's a good exchange. 
I hope you'll be saved today. I pray you will be. And if you are a believer and you've done the exact opposite of what Paul said to the Thessalonians, look to the Lord Jesus. Confess your sin. Start walking in a different way. And do it for the glory of God. Because this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And Paul does that because, going back up to verse 1 and 2, because he wants you to abound more and more in the things of the Lord. And when I look at the two, I'm going to say this. I think Paul has a better idea. I think Paul has a better way. Why does Paul have a better way? Because it came from God. If you reject this, you're not rejecting man. You're not rejecting me or Paul. You're rejecting God. Be careful. This comes from the Lord because it's the Lord who, through Paul, is telling the Thessalonians, I want you to abound. And that's what God is saying today as he preserved this in his word. I don't want you just getting through or getting by. I don't want you to walk around with chains around your ankles. I don't want you to be having scars that you can't explain or that you're embarrassed to explain in your life. I don't want you to be shamed in front of your children, especially after you die. I want you to super abound. Super abound. And you can't get there through this kind of a lifestyle. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are lost. Please save them today and let them know there is no sin, no sin that is too deep for you to deliver them out of. And help believers know it's the same way for us. We can fall into sin, but our God is able to deliver us. And we look to you for our deliverance. Set captives free today and bring joy and peace and righteousness in the place of shame, secrecy, and dishonor. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.